Welcome back to the Global Digital Banker. My name is Adele Grissoff and this is RFI Group's Insight-backed podcast focused on key trends, thought leadership and best practice within the fast-growing and dynamic world of digital banking. No matter where you live in the world, digital interactions with banks are increasing in frequency. In the US, UK and Australia, the percentage of daily users of digital banking has increased on average by 6%, bringing them almost in line with China, which has a daily user base of 34%. The episode this week is entitled, New Payments Players, Where Did They Come From? The theme focuses on the new-to-market entrants within the digital banking and payment space who started as major companies not involved within banking or financial services. We caught up with Eleanor Page, RFI Group's Global Commercial Director, who shares a number of case studies around these new entrants, which industries and which regions have been the most active in this space, and shares some unique data points around digital payments globally. Ellie joins us from Singapore and although has a wealth of knowledge globally, is particularly insightful around the Asia markets and that's where we're seeing a lot of action in this space, especially with companies in payments. Uh, So we're seeing tons of new entrants coming in uh, from outside of banking. Which industries are we seeing them come from? So we've been watching these new players emerge at RFI, both through our data that we collect across the main markets that have seen this change. So we've seen these changes in the US, in China, India, in ASEAN, the Philippines, Thailand, Malaysia, and Indonesia particularly come to mind. So there's what we see in our data, but there's also how we interact with our clients in those markets and what we see them doing. Um, And for our traditional banking clients, they talk to us about these emerging players as well. But as this landscape has changed and it's changed really fast, our thinking has had to too. Mm. So we don't anymore think of these types of companies as a homogenous set of disruptors. There are certainly nuances which reflect their roots. So we tend to think about, for example, transport-founded financial companies like Grab and Gojek as one group. And you could throw Uber in there as well. Then there's the messaging app-based financial companies like WeChat and WhatsApp increasingly. E-commerce marketplaces really have moved strongly into the financial sector. So companies like Amazon, um, like Lazada here in ASEAN, and then a really big segment, the telco-based companies, Paytm, Mint, True Money are a few that, that come to mind. Mm. And they're big brands that you're naming there. I mean, Uber, there was a lot of hype around a few years ago, but now, you know, WeChat, WhatsApp, Amazon, massive brands. And this is why uh, the financial services industry really needs to pay attention. But other than their roots, what, what else do you think makes these companies different from each other? So probably what I talk about is the difference between the messaging and telco providers who've started life as a kind of a channel. And then you've got the transport and e-commerce providers who started selling their own product or service. So thinking about transport and e-commerce, the first thing that they've all had to solve for is accepting payments from the end consumer. So for transport apps, they had to create payment gateways within their apps that enable the passenger very simply to pay the driver, but also for that company to take their commission on the ride, which is how they generate revenue. So Mm. e-commerce marketplaces the payment aggregation services were essential because they allowed and allow shoppers to pay the merchant for their goods without those merchants being required to open up their own individual merchant acquiring account with a, with a bank or other payments provider. Thinking back to the transport companies and the e-commerce companies, 
they then have this opportunity immediately to start serving their B2B partners' financial needs. So the drivers and the merchants, respectively, are the immediate opportunity for them. Lazada and Amazon both make SME loans available to their merchants, and they tend to be at preferential rates to try and get those merchants selling more and transacting more through the sites. Grab recently launched, well, about a year ago, launched Grab Financial, but its key first cab off the rank, if you'll excuse the pun, was to provide <laughs> loans and insurance to their drivers. And Uber is known for providing loans to drivers as well. You know, even if we go back to the first tech boom where we saw PayPal emerge, obviously they've now been separated from eBay for about three years. They have gone on to provide cash flow lending, for example, to merchants in their SME customer base. So this first opportunity has really been a B2B opportunity for those companies. With telcos and messaging, first of all, we see a much greater focus on developing economies. And there is certainly their activity which drives and also benefits from the movement towards financial inclusion, particularly across the region here in Asia. In many emerging Asian markets, we see lower socioeconomic consumers taking out nano loans. So these loans are like the equivalent of like one or two dollars, only one or two US dollars. And it's to buy data so that they can use their phones. So they're tiny value and there's a massive volume to be captured. And the telcos already have those people as prepaid customers in their customer base. So there's a first opportunity for them. Insurance is something that the telcos are kind of becoming active in and are launching products in. Beyond those low socioeconomic consumers, you've got the emerging middle class. Insurance is very underpenetrated in these markets. So being able to take a specific insurance product to protect your new amazing key asset, whether that's like a smartphone that you've got for the first time or it's your family scooter, this is a key opportunity. And again, telcos are a massive advantage with large customer bases where they have access to be able to sell to these customers. Thinking about those telcos, particularly in Southeast Asia, we're seeing a lot of investment from China at the moment, particularly via Amp Financial. So they've invested in Mint, which is the fintech arm of the Philippines Telco Globe, um, as well as a Seng Group owned True Money, whose largest market is Thailand. So, and as well as these financial inclusion opportunities, this rapid adoption of mobile makes ASEAN markets the next wave of the super apps um, mm. or cashless ecosystem. So thinking about that investment that Amp Financial made in True Money, in Thailand, in our data, in RFI's data, we see that 30% of consumers have used the True Money mobile wallet in the past 12 months, uh, which provides a kind of a cashless e-commerce and financial services ecosystem. So really strong opportunities. And that's amongst banked consumers, not just, we're not just talking about those that are underserved or unbanked. This is specifically banked consumers. Even if we look at that bank population in the Philippines, RFI's data shows that the Philippines is the biggest market for Bitcoin. 5% of bank consumers have used Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency, which sounds kind of weird. Yeah. But when you think about the volume of remittances from overseas foreign workers that flow into the country... And the fact that you actually can't make digital interbank transfers. Mm. Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies just make sense. So, you know, really unique opportunities. It's not the same in every market across Asia, but there are these commonalities that hold together these groups of market entrants. And we see in Thailand, again, you know, consumers are adopting very, very quickly prompt pay, which is the faster payment system. Mm 
in Thailand, which banks have then rolled out to provide peer-to-peer transfers and other kinds of payments. They've rolled that out in the beginning of 2017. We've already got 20% of consumers using PrompPay as one of their top payment methods. So there's different opportunities, but a big opportunity for these types of businesses and these types of new and emerging technologies as well. And so how much of a threat is there then for the traditional providers in this market? Is it similar to what we'd class as more of a traditional fintech? Um, Although some of these companies obviously don't start out as fintechs. Yeah, if you could shed some light on what you think the competitive position is of these new emerging companies. Yeah, so thinking about whether it's a threat or not, we do talk with our clients and wonder whether, you know, is fintech an existential threat? Is it a real threat? All this kind of stuff. But, you know, it really depends how you look at it and what aspects you look at. So if you're looking at brand value, if you're looking at trust, if you're looking at engagement, then clearly banks have to be able to offer the security and experience that customers are getting from these new market entrants. We recently did a study in the UK on open banking, so developed market, obviously driven by the legislation in the UK and the broader PSD2 legislation in Europe. But what it showed really interestingly was that millennial consumers trust Amazon more than banks with both their personal and financial information. Mm. Now, that's something that banks need to have a think about in terms of are they replicating those experiences? Are they having that kind of brand relationship with the millennials that Amazon is? Generally across our research, so we we do an ongoing piece of research called the Global Digital Banking Council, uh, which looks across 10 markets. Um, We survey 1,200 consumers in each of those 10 markets twice per year. We see in our most recent data that no matter where you live in the world, Digital interactions with banks are increasing in frequency. So thinking again about developed markets in the US, the UK and Australia, we've just seen an increase in the percentage of daily users of digital banking channels across those three markets. There's been an increase of an average of around 6%. That almost brings them in line with China, which has a digital banking channel user base of about 34%. Mobile, again, something that banks really need to think about. We're seeing the emergence of mobile first first markets. Um, If you live in China, if you live in India, if you live in the US or Singapore, the satisfaction that you have with the experience of mobile banking is highly correlated with and has a disproportional impact in driving the experience with and the rating of those customers' main banking relationships. So, Digital is is really important and probably the lesson here for banks is what experiences do I need to put forward that are matching the experiences being provided by these new players um, in order to protect my brand, my trust, my engagement and so on. So there's, there's that angle to it. We can also, you know, from an actual dollars and cents perspective, it's really important too. So, you know, revenue and growth, important considerations for banks. Just referring back to that Digital Banking Council, 10 markets we look at are Australia, Canada, China, France, Hong Kong, India, Mexico, the UK and the US. On average, 11% of consumers across those markets, so regardless of their digital habits, no matter who they are, 11% say they're going to reduce the total value of their holdings with their main bank in the coming year. 42% 
see that they'll say that they're going to increase the total value of the holdings with their main bank in the coming year. So that's kind of our benchmark. But if you hone in in the data on those customers who rate their main bank's digital experience as poor, that proportion who say they're going to increase the value of their holdings drops from the benchmark of 42% down to just 19%. So it's an important thing for banks to be thinking about. Mm, Shows the value of those customers. It shows shows the value of those customers, but it also shows the impact that digital experience is is happening. Mm. Um, When we did the last wave of research, we saw that positive digital experience was creating higher value for banks. This is the first way we've actually seen that poor digital experience is detracting and removing value from banks potentially. Mm. So there's, there's, there's shifts going on and it's moving very, very fast. I mean, the other area as well is banks' investments in the fintech space. Um, so I mentioned Grab mm. Financial earlier. It's actually a partnership with uh, Credit Saison, the Japanese um, credit cards provider. And they have a a global and regional presence. That partnership will help Grab Financial move from just a provider of driver loans, as we talked about, to a fully fledged consumer finance company. But, you know, on the subject of consumer finance, we picked up some really unique insights in the Vietnam credit cards market recently. We've just completed a qual phase, qualitative research phase in our new study um, and found out that aside from wanting like better cash flow for their shopping, status is a real key driver of uptake in Vietnam. If you have a credit card, it's seen as a great status symbol. So there's still opportunities in traditional products for traditional banks in emerging markets where these players are entering. It's certainly not something where it's a threat and everybody needs to, to worry, but certainly some insights and followed up by action would be in order in this space, yeah. Mm. Well, that's some incredible overview of sort of where the market's going, what the biggest shifts are. I think really interestingly about how the traditional institutions need to either be looking at these new players that particularly millennials are super engaged with and learning about that customer experience, or it's about sort of partnering and expanding their offering with these new entrants to make sure that they continue to be relevant. And absolutely. And this is something that we look at at RFI every day. Um, you know, we're continually broadening out and deepening our insights into digital banking in key markets. We've just got some youth banking programs rolling out in various countries around the world, really trying to understand understand what the future is and, and provide these data-driven insights to our customers so that they can make make a call on those decisions and where they're, they're wanting to play and what kind of actions they're willing and needing to take in what's a really fascinating space. Well, thank you so much, Ellie, for for joining us on the podcast this week. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thanks for having me. It's always good to chat. We hope you enjoyed the episode this week. To view the show notes from this episode, head to globaldigitalbanker.com. To get in touch with us, check out our Instagram, Global Digital Banker, Twitter at GDB Podcast, or on Facebook under Global Digital Banker Podcast. If you're interested in being a part of the show or would like to let us know what you think of this episode, email us at gdbpodcast at rfigroup.com.